know where you're at in the scripture, turn to John 15. I, uh, I get the, the crazy and amazing privilege of being a uh, father to four children. And uh, it is crazy and it's amazing, sometimes simultaneously. Anybody ever been there? And having, having, having had the chance to, to help raise four ki- children, um, part of the joy of fatherhood are the questions. And every child, I think, goes through that one phase. They ask a question that turns into 5,000 questions. And the first one usually is, what is that, Dad? And then you answer the question. And then the, ne- the next ensuing however many questions begin with the word, why? Anybody ever been there? Why? Well, because of why? Well, because, and why? And, and then you're like, at some point you have exhausted every brain cell that, you, that God gave you. That you've stored any kind of information in. And you've given them every answer you can possibly imagine. And they still have another why question. Anybody been there? Well, here's the thing. We as Christians should be constantly asking why. Why, why, why am I serving Jesus? Why am I following Jesus? Why am I serving in the ministry? Why am I praying? Why am I witnessing? Why am I being a good parent? Why am I being a good father? Why am I being a good husband? Why am I, why, why am I doing that? Because if I don't answer that question correctly, I'll find myself doing things for the wrong reasons. And the scriptures tell us that God is worried about one thing more than he's worried about anything else, and that's our heart. And so if I can't answer the why question correctly, and if I can't keep asking the why question and can't keep answering it correctly, then I am going in the, I, I'm probably going in a wrong direction. And so I got to keep asking that question of myself. Our response tells us where our heart is. It locates us. Our body might be in the right place. Our mind might even be in the right place. But sometimes our hearts are mislocated. Our heart is on the wrong journey. Our heart is taking the wrong path. We talked last week about the difference between just being a mere Christian or a mere believer and actually being a disciple or a follower of Jesus. That people can call themselves Christians, sit in church all day long, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're on the correct journey. They can believe like demons believe, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are walking with Jesus. And so a mere Christian uh, can, can do all the right things. A believer can do the right things, and most of the time their motivation is wrong. They do that because they feel like they have to. They do it because they're guilt-ridden if they don't. They do it because they, they have this reputation or this, this persona they've got to keep up with. They do it because they, 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 they feel like they have to. And they normally won't allow God to check them in the heart region. They don't even give thought to their heart. They just give thought to their action. They give thought to their routine. They give thought to, and, and so they're like, okay, I know I got to do this. I got to be there at this time. I don't want to be there, but I got to do that. I told them I would, so I'll just, I'll show up and do my thing and whatever. Okay, cool. As long as they're, as long as they're, they're doing what they, they need to, they feel like they're good. They get really more concerned about goals and achievements than they are concerned about, about, about people and persons, the person of God, the people of God, the lost people around them. But see, a disciple and a follower, they, they've, got di- they've got a different, a different motivation. 
their motivation is the same motivation that Jesus has. They have the same motivation that, 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 that navigated Jesus through the course of life. I read to you from John 12, 26 uh, last week, and, and it, it reads like this. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. Now listen to these next lines. Because my servants must, must, must be where I am. That's both an encouragement and a fact. You see, because a disciple, he wants to be where Jesus is. The person who's following Jesus has to be near him. There's something in their heart that triggers something that says, I, I have got to be near him. Jesus is saying, if you're my disciple, obviously if you're following me, you have to be near me. But he's saying, but not, that, that's not just a, a fact statement. That's an issue of, of your heart. You, you must, you, you want to, you desire above all other things to be where I am. And my father honors those who serve me. What he goes on to say. And so Jesus begins there. He wants to, de- to be near me. And then like, like a four-year-old would ask, Why? He wants me near me. Why? Well, John 15 kind of leads us into that. Jesus reads these words. I have loved you. I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Last week we said a disciple follows. Here's the thing. If a disciple is following Jesus, then the same thing that motivates Jesus motivates a follower, a disciple. He says, I have loved you. And even as the Father has loved me, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, and your joy will overflow. Jesus sets the why here. Why did Jesus do all that he had done on the planet? Why had he done everything he had done to this point in his journey with his disciples? Why? I have loved you. Why? Because the Father had loved me. And his encouragement is, is for us to stay there in that motivation, in that cycle, so we can, we can know the way. But the way we walk the way is just important as being in the way. Do you get that? We can be going here on the journey, but he wants more than just us being on the journey. He wants our reason for being on the journey in the right place. And so he, he's asking us, why? His why is love. I can go back to John 3, 16, 17. You guys know this like the back of your hand, probably most of you. For God so loved, right, that he gave, right? So that everyone who believes him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Everything God did was this motivation. Everything Jesus did was this motivation that he would love. 1 John 4, 7, and 8 reads like this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. See, we can do all the right things. We can do everything correctly, and 
that does not necessarily connotate, does not necessarily incline us to be in the right place. Because God's motivation for doing everything that he does is love. If you go to Church T's website, you know what you'd find? You'd go down the, go down the clip, you'd find new to CT, and there's a list of things there that says who we are, what we believe, da, 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 all this stuff. The very first line on the what we believe thing reads like this. We're not a denominational church emphasizing Christ and his love as our greatest creed. The most important thing to us ought to be him and his love. If we are doing all the right things without the wrong motivation, Paul would say these words, you're just making a bunch of noise. 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the language of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love, I would have gained nothing. See, it's, it's easy for us to tell a line of outward expression without inward conviction. And the thing that ought to be convicting us always is the love of God. Jesus is why always in everything that he did was love. Even when he's throwing over tables in the temple, it was love, love for God and love for holy things. When he goes to the cross, he, he's motivated by the love of God, love of God towards humanity. He, everything, everything he did. When he, he interacted, Brian, that, uh, Brian, I want to say something. Brian and I haven't, did not interact about what was going to go on today. And so when Brian asked this question through the scriptures in John 21, that's, 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 the, that's the work of the Holy Spirit at that moment. Do you love me more than these? Why are you doing what you're doing, Peter? If, you're lo- if your correct answer is you love me, then, then and only then do I have some things for you to do. Then and only then, when you get the why right, Peter, then you can start the rest of the journey, Peter. Do you love me, Peter? That's the question. Not how, what have you done for me or not done for me, Peter. The, the question, Peter, is do you love me? Because you see, Peter had blown it. It wasn't what Peter had done. It was what Peter hadn't done. He hadn't stayed committed to Jesus with people around. He ditched Jesus in his hour of need. But Jesus didn't talk about Peter's accomplishments or lack thereof. He didn't talk about Peter's failures or his lack of. He said, Peter, where is your heart right now, Peter? Where is it? Because we can start, if we don't stay in this thing of love, Motivating, being motivated by love, we cross the line into mere religious activity. And then at some point in time, we think God owes us something. Because I've done this, and I've done that, and I'm doing this, and I got this list, and I got these things, and I took that class, and I ministered to this many people, and I did all that. And so, God, I don't deserve to have anything bad to happen to me. That's a scary place to be. But if we stay at love, 
we recognize that the opposite of that is hate, and this world is full of it. And because it's full of that, we can expect that some things aren't going to go really well. And we can expect as long as we keep our heart right, we're going to navigate through that. Because God's going to rule the day. He's going to make sure things end up where they need to be. So Jesus is confronted with this idea. And in, 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 in religious people are always caught up with what we have to do. Mere Christians, I use that word, mere Christians, people who are just here to just fulfill their spiritual obligation. People who are just believers want to know what's the bare minimum I can do and get by. How often do I have to show up? When do I have to be there? You know, and so he's always, Jesus constantly confronting the gospel of people trying to figure out what's the minimum. And so Jesus in Matthew 22 is confronted by some of these people and they say, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest accomplishment I can give, give God the Father? What's, what's the one thing I have to do to, to, to find grace in the eyes of God, which is a, a fallacy. You can't do anything to get grace. If, it, if you could, it would stop being that. Grace is unearned, but we keep trying to. And so Jesus says, listen, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37, it's the greatest thing of all. He goes, you must love God. The Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. The entirety of all that's in the law and the prophets are based on these two things. Jesus says, you want to know what the racing is? It's not what you do. It's what's in here. It's what's inside the content of this inner being of you that you love God. With everything that you are, the very first commandment is you love God. That's not a list. That's not a code of conduct you sign off on. That's not some covenant thing that you, you're like, well, I'll do this and I'll do that. No, you just say, God, you know what? I'll let, I give you a blank check. I love you so much, God. I'll just give you a blank check. God, you put in there whatever you want to put in there. You put in there whatever you want to put in there. And, and I would, because I care so much about you, because I love you so much, I just give, I, I give you my life. Whatever, that, whatever, whatever you write on that pay to the order of thing I, and, and, and the, the amount, I just put, I just do it. I love you. My whole self, my whole being, my whole everything, I just, I, I, I'll give it to you. With my whole heart, my whole mind, all my time, all my energy, got everything that I have, I give it to you. I love you with all that I am. It's kind of funny, your, your whole self, it, you go back to even to the, into, into the law. and Deuteronomy, Moses has reiterated the people of God, the Israelites, as he's leaving. This is the law of God. He's going through this, that Deuteronomy means to go through something a second time, the word Deuteronomy. And so he's, he's retelling the law that he gave him in Exodus. And he's saying, before I leave, I need you to know some things. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 Verse 4 and 5, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Jesus is quoting that piece of scripture in Matthew 22. He says, listen, if you're going to get this right, you start here with the law, you start with love. Even in the law, God starts with love. Clear back in the Old Testament when God, everybody perceives that God's the one waiting to, 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 to open up the earth and swallow up people who mess up. 
He starts with love. Deuteronomy 10, 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in such a way that please him and love him and serve him with all your heart and your soul. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, the Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your sins so that you will love him with all your heart and soul so you may live. Even throughout that whole retelling of the law, what's God, from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to to chapter 12 to chapter 30, through the whole thing, the whole point is this, I want your heart. I want everything that you do to be because you love me. I don't want you just abiding by some rules and regulations. I want you. Don't you love it when your kids just do things because you tell them to? Isn't that an enjoyable experience? Go take out the trash. Okay. I was busy playing Xbox and stuff, and dad's trying to get me. And that's for you and them both. That is just a completely pleasurable experience, isn't it? Forgive your sister. All right. Come over. You do it. You ever run this to your parents? You do it because you mean it. Doggone it. You ever told your kids that? Huh? Like you want to force them to do it for the right reasons, right? Huh? And that's completely a pleasurable experience for you too, isn't it? You know, like, you know? Now, on the other hand, when your kids are just motivated by love and you do have to do do have to do anything to tell them to do something and they just share with their their their, their friend next door and they just share with their brothers and sisters and they're more concerned about then then your heart go oh that's life that is huge and that's awesome and why would god want any less from us huh why why, why would why, why would god want us just to, to merely just follow rules Love is the key thing. So we were, the first commandment is love God with all your heart. The second thing he says, Matthew 22, 37, is to love others like you love yourself. That's also found in Deuteronomy. I'm not going to go there right now, but it's also found there. He says, uh, let, me, let me step back for a minute. Brian's piece of scripture he read to take up an offering is, do you love me more than these? You know who the, these are? Always close, tight, personal friends that are right there in the boat with him. Peter, do you love me more than these? You see, the issue is, I look around this room, I don't doubt that there's love for God in this building. Not in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes, I wonder if the love prioritization for God is in its proper place. Sometimes, I look at my own life and I think, dude, I mean, you, you love God, but sometimes other things creep up right next to it. Anybody ever had that happen? You ever heard of God? And, 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 and so here's the, the love for God with the whole self, the whole being, the whole time, whole energy is this. It should, every other love should be pale in comparison. In Luke 14, Jesus makes this statement, and I'm sure it fried people. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, he didn't talk about it just being a believer. He didn't talk about just being a religious person. He, about just being, he said, you must hate everyone else by comparison. In other words, when you measure the amount of love you have for me, it should be so distinct and so high above every other love thing in your life that it, would be, it could be perceived as hate. It would be so diminished comparatively. Is he telling us to hate people? No. He's saying, listen, 
my, your love for me should be magnified above every other thing. And in comparison, it seems so little how much you love everything else, everyone else, and particularly he names people right after that. Some of our closest relationships, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Well, those are tough words, man. Jesus has just tallied it up and made it almost higher than any of us. Man, that's, that's intense, isn't it? Because you know what? I have done things in my life more motivated for my love for this lady here. My first thought was not what Jesus thought about it. My first thought was what she thought about it. Anybody been there? Sometimes there have been things I should have done for my kids. And they're going to be not happy with me. And sometimes I've relented because my love for them was not as strong as my love for the truth. And so I kind of squelched on some parental responsibilities. Anybody ever done that? Huh? Nobody's ever done that? And Jesus says, your love for me ought to be so much higher that I'm the first thought. I'm, I'm the first reason. I'm, I'm the first thing that comes into your mind when you've got to make a decision, when you're at a pivotal moment, when things are going on. Not if your wife's going to be mad. Not how, not how are your kids going to take it. Not, how, how, what, how am I? How do I fit in, Aaron? Oh, those are tough words. Are those not tough words? We know from the whole context of Scripture, he does not want us hating our parents. He does not want us hating our children, our wives. We know that. People get flaky here because I'll take this one piece of scripture. See, Jesus says, hey, no, he's not saying that. He's saying, man, let my love be so strong that nothing else even comes close. I am the first thought of the morning. I am the last thing you think about before you go to bed. I am what you're thinking about while you're eating lunch. I am what you think about while you're driving down the road. I am that. That's, sometimes that's hard for us to accomplish. If that's the first commandment, if we get that right, the second one's fall after that because here's where the next thing comes. Second commandment, he says, love others. Love others. Like, and here's the very important piece of the puzzle. Like you love yourself. Matthew 7, 12 reads like this. Do to others what you'd like them to do to you. This is the essence of all this taught in the law and the prophets. The whole thing is in the law and the prophets, he says, is, is you treating others the way you want to be treated. Jesus would say, Matthew 22, 37, 40, through 40, love others like you love yourself. He, he's confronted by this issue, saying the same statement in Luke 10, and he gives the story, you know this story, about the good Samaritan. Who, who, the guy goes, well, Jesus, who's my, who, who's, who love your neighbor like you love yourself. Well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus goes in and telling a story. And it's funny that in that story, the, one, the people who just walk on by are the religious people. They were doing the list, and they were forgetting the really important stuff. The Levite, the, 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 the uh, who was the other person, the, the scribe, the Pharisee, one of them, and, the, and the, they're, they're just, they're just on, their, on their way. They forget. And Jesus says, this is, and, so, and, and the Good Samaritan comes by, a person who should have had no contact with this guy. They hated each other, naturally, instinctively. Ethnic problems and things like that had, were, 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 were natural barriers to this love being expressed. And he, he takes care of the man. He binds up his wounds. He makes sure he's fed. He makes sure he has a shelter. He takes all that stuff. And, and Jesus says, so who is the neighbor? 
And the, even the response from the, the legal guy is like, well, the one who took care of him is that. It's a really important piece of the puzzle is you love God with everything that you are. The next piece of the puzzle is you love anyone, any human, like you would love yourself. You know what that means? What do you do with yourself when you're hungry? You feed it. When yourself is hungry, you feed it. When yourself is hurt, what do you do with yourself? You take care of it. You bring medicine. You apply bandages to it, right? When yourself is lonely, what do you do? You go find somebody to, 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 to interact with, right? When yourself is lonely, you provide human interaction for yourself, right? When yourself is confused, what do you do? You go find yourself counsel from some advice, some person who can, who can offer them direction and help. When, when, when you love yourself, what do you do? You, 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 whatever help, your help yourself needs, you go find out how to get it, right? When you love yourself, when yourself needs a hug, what do you do? You go get yourself a hug. I try and get every opportunity I can to do that. And sit in front of church, she can't deny me. So here's the deal. There's this all-encompassing love for God that motivates everything. The next commandment Jesus gives is you have to love everybody else on the planet, everybody with blood running through their veins, everybody with oxygen in their, in their body. you got to at least love them, at least love them the way you would love yourself. It means I can't any longer just walk by when somebody's in pain. Just can't do it. I can't just walk by when things are, are going on and, and, and somebody needs help. I, I know my, my neighbor's yard has been mowed in two weeks, and they really got a lot of stuff going on. I just can't sit there and just watch that happen. I have to stop and do that because I've been taking care of my yard, so i got to take care of his yard. You know what I mean? And this is, this, this, is just, this is just people. These aren't people who even like you necessarily because Samaritans didn't like Jews. And so Jesus in the parable is like, listen, at least like you love yourself, love everybody, at least. And she, but Jesus, in his motivation to keep us going the, we're going the way, but now we're going, to go the, we're going to go the way, the right way. He says, love is the whole deal, man. Love is everything. What you do for yourself, do for others. That's the second and greatest commandment. But you know what? Jesus is amazing. He doesn't even stop there. Because if we keep reading in John 15 at verse 12, he's looking at some followers of him who've got off their boats, left their fishing nets, left their tax collector's tables, left everything. He goes, this is my commandment, that you love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in slaves. Now you're my friends since I have told you everything the Father's told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And he reiterates, this is my command, love each other. In John 13, John 15, he would reiterate that on a couple of occasions. 
He's giving him his, their last directives as his followers before he's getting ready to go to the cross and go, go, go to the grave, be resurrected, go to heaven. And he said, uh, you know the first two, you, were, you guys were there, I gave the first two commandments. The first two greatest commandments are this, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, your strength, love your neighbors, you love yourself. But here's a new one. Love each other. Who is each other? Those who call on the name of Christ, like I have loved you. Other words, the love you have for other brothers should be like the love I've shown you, which means it's not just how much you care for yourself. You put yourself on the back shelf and you help take care of them. You sacrifice yourself. Ooh, that's tough. Ooh, that's, that, 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 that's harder than just, you know. Why? Love other brothers like I have loved you. John 13, 34. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Wow. 1 John 4, 21. And he has given us this commandment. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Jesus in John 13 gives us the exact real life example of that. He is the master, the king, the, 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 the teacher, the one all of them have sacrificed all to follow. He's the one that they are supposed to be serving. And, and he finds himself in this last moment of his life, getting ready to partake of the, the Passover meal together, getting ready to institute the Last Supper. And the scriptures would tell us this, that he would, he would get up from the table. He would grab a big towel and he would tie it around his waist. He would grab a pitcher of water and a basin. He would walk down to one of the the, the disciples. And he would kneel. And he would take a foot. And he would pull the sandal off. And he would pour water on those who'd walk the journey with him. Wow. Peter is there in that moment, and he's like, oh, crud, Jesus is, is, he's coming down the line. And he's like, I know I'm not worthy of this. Jesus, don't do that. Please. Jesus, like, listen, Peter, you don't get it. If if I don't do this, then you have no part with me. And Jesus, like, Peter, like, oh no. Well, if that's the case, I want all you got. Give me a bath too, not just my feet. Jesus, give me the whole thing. And Peter, Jesus, like, Peter, I'm giving you an example. And he 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 says, as I have loved you, and he he sa- even says in John three thirteen, he says, after washing their feet, he puts his robe on again. And he sat down. And asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you are also to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus makes a statement in John 9. Is it John 9? No, John. Where, we, where, where, where did we start? I don't remember. John 15, 9. That's right. 9 was stuck. He makes a statement in there that when we, when we love like this, our joy may be full. You see, when you do what you do because it's motivated by love, joy is not a joy. The, the draining of our lives is not, does not happen. 
When we do things just because we have to or because we're trying to look good or because we feel compelled by some, some code or something, when we miss it, we feel drained. When the schedule gets crazy, we feel drained. When things are, and we got to keep up with this, Jesus says, listen, when you do it because you love me, you know what happens? Your joy stays full. That's pretty amazing. Jesus' intention, even in telling us that, 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 that we should love like this, is, is for our benefit because he knows life is going to wear us out. He knows keeping up with all these things that are required of us is going to wear us out. He says, I'm going to give you a key on how not to be worn out. I'm going to give you a key on how not, let, not, not to be drained walking through this journey in life. You do it because you love. And when you find yourself not doing it out of love, get back to the reason you should be doing it. He would tell a church in, in, in the book of Revelation, he writes a letter, personal letter to them he says listen i know everything you're doing you're doing all kinds of good things and he he makes up a list he says but this one thing i have against you you've left your love get back to love get back to the reason not just the what get back to the why everything i did i did for you because i loved you Everything I did, I did because I loved God more than I loved my life. Everything I did, he said, is because I loved the world and wanted the, wanted the world to know the love of the Father. That's, get back to that. When you come to Sunday morning service, don't come because you have to. Come because you love Jesus. When you're standing at a bouncy house at Kingston Harvest Fest, don't stand there in the hot sun going, I'm just here because these crazy kids, they got to have something to do. And somebody's got to be here, so i got to be here. No, you, go, you know what you do? You go, good night. I'm giving a family a chance to congregate around the person of Christ. And Jesus loves them, and I love them. And I'm creating access for them to understand the love of God because I'm standing here opening up this door to this bouncy house. And bless God, I love him. And I'm standing here in the hot sun all day if I got to. Oh, man, i got to serve beef all day long. You know what? Jesus fed people five loaves and two fishes. They didn't have, they didn't have anything hardly. And you know what he did? He did it because he loved them. He had compassion on them, the scriptures tell us. When you're standing at the front doors and you're passing out bulletins and offering handshakes, don't do it because you have to. Do it because the love of Jesus grows in your heart and you love him more than anything. And he's given you a chance to love people you don't know. He's given you a chance to give hugs to brothers and sisters who may be really down and, and frustrated and out. And, and do it because of that. When we were merely duty bound, our joy gets drained. Jesus would say these words I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? At one point, he would say, I, 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 I'm the gate. If he's the gate, then the gate must be hung on these three hinges. I have loved you like the Father has loved me. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. I have loved the world. That's why I came, that the world might know me. It swings on that hinge. Love each other as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. That's the gate. That's the way. When we're walking this way, the door opening to the kingdom is through this idea of love. God loves us. He sent Jesus for us. And the door swings open because of the love of God. And the door remains open to us for kingdom activity because it hinges on those three things. Love God. Love God anyone love others and love other brothers that's the key to all of it 
The key to not being zapped of your strength, the key of not being drained of joy, the key to, to, to staying locked in on what's really important is love. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. In First Timothy, Paul would write these words. I want you to say something. We said last week a real simple statement. A disciple follows. If that is true, and these are the things that Jesus said were important, then we follow these three things. He leads us right to the very heart of God. That's where he's leading us. He's leading us right to the very heart of God. God never makes a rule just because he can. God never gives a law just because he has the authority to do it. God never brings correction or punishment just because he can. Hebrews would tell us those he loves, he chastens, and he he disciplines. God never does anything just because he can, because he has the power, because he has the authority. He does it. You know why? Because he loves. First John would say this, God is love. He doesn't just possess it. He is love. Everything that love is, that's what God is. Love is patient and love is kind. Love is all of that. And so Paul's writing about this. He's given Timothy, he had to give Timothy some instructions about how to be the man of God that God wants him to be. And for Timothy 1.5, he reads like this. The goal, the goal, the goal of the command, the goal of all this instruction, the goal of everything that's in the scripture, the goal of everything that, that, that I have given you prior to this point, the goal of everything God wrote in his word, the goal of all of it, the goal of this command, the goal of this is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I want you right now to think about your life. I want you to think about the why of your life. Where's love fit in? And is there any of it? Is it just fire insurance? God's going to throw down the hammer pretty soon, and I just want to make sure I'm not underneath of it. Thank you, Jesus. That'll sustain you for a period of time, but it won't sustain you for a a long journey, a long marathon to the end of the road. Is it just duty? Well, people are counting on me. I should probably do that. At least with duty, I would say this. If it's just duty, at least you're thinking about it. That's cool. But maybe for some of us, it's just routine. It's just what I do. Not even getting any thought. Without love, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any difference, First Corinthians says. Why? Let me ask you a question. Is there any joy for you in serving Christ? Or is there only guilt and frustration? Is there shame? Some people do what they do for God because they are, show, they are, they are full of so much shame about what they, what they used to do or something they've done recently that they feel they have to make up for something. You know, wives love it. 
when I really mess up as a husband and I'm not sent flowers to her or a note of any kind in like six or eight months and then I did something really dumb and my first inclination is to send her flowers. Don't you guys love that? Because I feel shamed. My motivation isn't that I love you. It's that I did something really stupid. <laughs> I want to feel really good about myself. So here's some flowers. I can do something right. Huh? You guys ever got flowers thrown at you? Huh? And that ever happened? I see a couple guys going, dude, I've been there. I've absolutely been there. This is the whole point. God doesn't want you to do something because you feel shameful about something that you did. He wants you to do what you do because you love him with all that you are. Not shamed into serving in children's ministry because you didn't give your kids the upbringing they should have had. That's not a reason to do children's ministry. That is not a reason to work in youth ministry because you really messed up as a parent and, and had really bad arguments with your kid and they went a whole other direction. Now you want to try and make up for it by serving some other kids. That's not a reason to do that. You see what I mean? If we don't have our motivation, maybe it's just obligation. Maybe you're zapped to joy because just, you're just obliged to do it. We're obliged to pay taxes, and all of you love that. I mean, you see what I mean? You get the, you get the connection? Huh? His thoughts towards you are motivated by love. Everything he does, everything he is. And all he really asks of us is that love be the motivation of all that we do. Love for him above and beyond everything else. Love for anyone like we would love ourselves, that we'd take care of and nurture and feed them. Love for other brothers in such a sacrificial way that it would be pretty obvious that we're distinguishable from every other person, other, every other group of people on the planet. <laughs> 